Hi, I'm Dave Miranda, General Counsel and Past President of the New York State Bar Association. Welcome to Miranda Warnings. You have the right to remain listening. We're joined today by Scott Maloof, a social media attorney practicing in Rochester, New York. And we have Deborah Hamilton, who's from Westchester County and specializes in mediation involving clients and their pets. And she's currently located in Moorhead City, North Carolina. Scott and Deborah, welcome to Miranda Warnings. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We're looking forward to talking to you. It's going to be a fun time. It is fun. You know, so we're talking about, uh, I think, what most people would consider to be a fun topic. We're talking about social media. And the impetus for this was uh, a case that everyone is familiar with. It's the, the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard case where social media was uh so important to the case, both as in evidence and also in the court of public opinion, which sometimes is even more important than the actual court that the case is being tried in. So I'd like to ask you, just give us a little thumbnail of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case, and then we can go into how social media played a part. Great. Uh, I'll run with that. Um... So for folks who don't know, it was a defamation action brought in Virginia State Court. Uh, Amber Heard, I believe back in 2018, had worked with uh, another organization and wrote an opinion piece for the Washington Post. And um, the opinion piece implied that she was a survivor of domestic violence. And, you know, this, I believe, is a libel by implication case suggesting that uh, Johnny Depp was the one who who committed the conduct. He brings the action and the jury deliberates and um, she had made some counterclaims. The upshot was the jury had awarded him 15 million for her statements in the Washington Post, I believe, and awarded her 2 million for statements by Depp's attorneys. The judge then reduced some of that award because in Virginia, there was a cap on punitive damages. I believe it was a $5 million cap. So the upshot was he was about $8 million to the good because his claim and the punies were worth about $10.5 million, and her counterclaim for the statement by Depp's former attorney was worth $2 million. And one of the issues that was really interesting for Deborah, myself, and for the bar was the third-party statements, how this, this case developed a life of its own um, with other parties, influencers, and other folks talking about the case and then media picking up some of those statements by the influencers. Right. And uh, Deborah, let, uh, I'd like to give you a chance. From a social media perspective, uh, why was that uh, so influential uh, in this case? Because it seemed to have people take sides and it infuriated everyone to a greater degree. So a lot of what came out of it escalated because of what was being said on social media by third parties wanting people to click on their comments, right or wrong, uh, versus helping the clients resolve the issues. I mean, our article pointed out that we really are in the business of helping our clients solve issues. However, if they get involved in social media and third parties get involved in carrying their water, so to speak, in social media, it can really escalate. Scott? Yeah, and, and I just want to pick up on the third party point. And that's something that whether you're a lawyer or your business owner, just an average person, you know, before you take to making statements online, you really have to say, is this something I should be talking about? How can it go horribly wrong? You know, and if you do that, I think you, you at least give yourself that half a heartbeat 
where you say, maybe I will say something, but I'll change what I say and how I say it. We yeah, so together. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to talk about that. But first, you know, I think what, what Deborah was mentioning was the third party social media, right? So it wasn't necessarily by by Jenny Depp or his people or Amber Heard and her people, but just individuals who were commenting on the case. And this case was, I'm going to say, a little bit unique, uh, both because it had two celebrities that were that were relatively well known and also that it was televised in real time. And so people were able to watch this case in real time. And a lot of them did uh, because uh, courtroom drama can be fascinating. And they were commenting on it in real time on social media. And, you know, you you did see people take sides. Obviously, there was some of the uh, social media was was, uh, you know, an effort to be, you know, humorous, perhaps. There was also a lot of, you know, insider baseball about who was wearing what kind of clothes and and were they trying to, you know, was one of the witnesses trying to get into the head of the, the other side? And so talk a little bit about how s- s- the court of, of public opinion was influenced uh, by social media in this case. Yeah, I'll, I'll run with that. And I know Deborah will have some thoughts as well. I, I think number one is you you hit the nail on the head two incredibly famous people, you know, for example, you know, Johnny Depp had sued, I believe it was the son in the UK for prior allegations that, that he engaged in domestic violence and he lost. Right. So, so the smart money on the attorney side was, okay, she's published this thing. He's got no chance here in the United States because, you know, our laws are much, much more favorable to someone making a statement. It's hard to bring a case and it flips around and he wins in Virginia. And so I think two big things to takeaways for people are one, when influencers saw this case, right? And it didn't take place in New York. You've done a podcast on cameras in the courts in New York. Folks should go look at that. See, I got a promo in already. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Branding. <laughs> but it, it took place someplace different. And small influencers were watching the case and they were starting to comment on it and they were getting a lot more traction, more hits, more presumably ad revenue. And once that happened, I think larger influencers, it's a very dynamic market said, well, wait a minute, if they're doing well, why wouldn't I do that? And of course, because it is a trial, it's daily content. And you know, any content producer will tell you, you got to have content. It takes a lot of time to produce it. A trial is perfect, right? It's a lot of raw video, a lot of raw audio you can see. And then it started to take on a life of its own. We talked about, you know, Johnny versus Amber, but a lot of some of some of the commenters, influencers said they supported Johnny because that content did better. And so it had nothing to do with who was winning. And I think for litigants for organizations, that's a really tough and scary prospect because you're 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 thinking, wow, my public reputation is really going to depend on which content is more popular. I could be the Amber Heard in this situation. Right. And that's going to really affect the attorneys because it's going to make it difficult for them to you know, um, help their clients if their clients have this third party um, escalating because it's making their influence greater. So that's why we wrote the article to let attorneys know that really you have to be careful about who grasps onto, of course, we don't have as you know high quality uh, high influence clients as Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, 
but it can happen in any small client as well in a small knit group uh, that could really influence the outcome. So it's always good to be aware and make sure that you don't go down that slippery slope of losing control. So let's say you have a client that's going to trial and uh, there may be some public aspect to the trial. In New York, of course, they're not always televised, but there is a public aspect to it. Do you, do you advise a client in a case where it might be more high profile to, to pull in a social media strategist to help not only with the courtroom experience, but with the court of public opinion? Do we do that? I would say absolutely you want to think about that. And the reason is you could have the best victory in court, but take this case as an example. 98% of people are going to see you know, what other folks post, whether it's a reporter or influencers, and they're just going to get a sense, right? So even though you won, right, folks may say, okay, you won, but I still don't like you for these other reasons. And so I think it's something you want to be very cognizant of and you, you plan for it early. And again, maybe you don't bring the case. Maybe you take it to arbitration. That's why it's something we talked about a little bit in the article. Right. And you bring it to maybe a conflict coach that can help your client stay off social media um, and maybe get a mediator who can help them talk to each other confidentially uh, so that they can bring these issues that are going to inflame in social media in a big way. Keep it between them. Really teach your clients and teach yourself as the attorney how to really keep those emotional triggers out of uh, the mainstream social media world. Right. And Deborah, I know that uh, in your practice, you uh, work on issues involving uh, conflict in businesses with animals. And of course, there's a lot of animals on social media, too. What, what kind of advice do you give to, to the pets about how they should handle their social media? Well, the owners of the pets uh, have a great deal of social media footprint when they're having a disagreement. I have to tell you that one of my cases, the judge actually awarded something to another client because the other client didn't deny it on social media. And I was scratching my head saying, wait a minute, now we have to fight on Facebook. Uh, however, it you really... Um, it is it is an open warfare, I think, on social media. What's going to happen? People are going to use it to show their side is correct and somebody didn't deny it. So they're in it's correct. So we really need to pull our clients in and work with our adversaries to pull their clients in because they're going to really garner, you know, uh, turmoil. Uh, on social media, which, as Scott and I pointed out in the article, creates this inability to come to resolution because you're so angry with what he said on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is. You, you, you've you seen their TikTok about it and, and the dog is in the video and, and you're angry because they have the dog. Uh, so it really creates um, almost a barrier to entry of resolution. So let you know, I, I still want to talk about uh, Jenny Depp and Amber Heard, but let's move beyond that for the moment and talk about an average uh, non-celebrity person that's going to trial or uh, mediation or arbitration. What kind of advice do you give to a client about what they should be doing, saying on social media about the case. And obviously that's going to be different depending on the person and the case or, or the business. But 
what's some general rules of thumb that uh, an attorney or their client should be thinking about? You know, I'll run with that. And I think that there are two trains of thought. And one is if your client doesn't have to speak, you know, it's a personal injury action or it's a, it's a one-off kind of claim, right? Then it might be best for the client not to speak and for the client to instruct, you know, associated parties, family members and say, look, just don't talk about the case, right? A lot of good reasons. You don't create more discoverable material. You don't breach your attorney-client privilege. Very helpful. But a lot of other situations pick up what Deborah just said, where she talked about the judge looking at Facebook and saying, hey, you didn't dispute that statement that was made. In those situations, I, I think, you know, attorneys really take a step back and say to the client, you know, who are you? Do you feel compelled to post? There are situations where people are influencers and it's a business model. And so they have to post. In that situation, you start to talk to the client about content guidelines and say, look, let's let's create a catalog of what you can and can't talk about. And a lot of times you get better creativity because of that. And secondly, you then say, if you do have to say something like, I'm going to be unavailable, you know, you keep it short and sweet. And then third, if you have to interact with the other side that comes up in domestics, you know, you're an intellectual property lawyer. I'm sure you have a lot of cases where the parties have multitudes of contracts and agreements. You say, look, keep it professional, keep it short. And if you have any doubt, that's where you kind of take a step back and think before you post or say something. So those are the two tracks. Yeah. And I would, I would add that don't have someone monitor the other parties. Uh, social media output so that they can inflame you uh, because you're not going to watch it and you're not going to comment, but they're going to share everything uh, that Scott's saying about you on his social media. You can't see it because you've probably been blocked. So you have some very helpful third party uh, helping your client know exactly what the other side is saying. And that creates another barrier to resolution because did you know that Scott said this? And it's like, oh, thank you, whoever the third party was who shared that with my client. Yeah. And, and real quick, it's always third parties. You always get thrown under the bus by third parties. It's a Tennessee ethics case. I think it's uh, in Ray Bradshaw uh, sitting. And uh, in the case, you know, attorney was just talking to someone on social media, not even his client saying, hey, this is how you would cover up committing this crime. And someone posted a, a fourth party posted, hey, I bet the guy who's going to be the victim has seen it. And indeed he had and he grieved and reported the attorney to the ethics folks. So every single time, like that's the thing you say, you say, look, this is not you and your mom. This is you, your mom and the world. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, lawyer issues on this. What's the admissibility if your client is putting something on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram photos. How do we get that into court if it could be helpful or hurtful uh, in a case? Yeah. You know, I have to send you a bill now, right? Sure. <laughs> you can send. Right there. But send you know, a bill. <laughs> Go ahead. No, but you said sure, right? That's a perfect example. We would we would use that free flowing thing, right? We were all laughing. You know, a year or six months later, the first point you tell people is context gets stripped out. I'm going to take our exchange and I'm going to turn that into, here you go, Your Honor. Here is a written concept. I'm going to send you a bill. Sure. Done. Right. I'm going to lead all the laughter. I'm going to lead the fact that this was a jocular kind of thing. So, I mean, that's the first thing to remember is context is going to get stripped out. Second, the amount of time. Right. I've I, I, talked about it now for a minute. We haven't even really analyzed it. And third, how is it going to come in? Number one thing it may come in is an admission, right? 
some kind of party admission. Second, it may come in as a business record. We know NISBA is going to take this and it's going to keep it. And so there could be somebody who can authenticate that and bring it in. And remember, the authentication standard, the burden, you know, still pretty low. So it can come in. That said, you know, there can be a variety of objections as to the veracity of it or things, you know, coming down the pike. We've seen AI coming on. There's been a lot of coverage of artificial intelligence creating art. And so the, the pendulum may have swung where you can say, judge, you know, the person has to prove they weren't using sub technology to fudge this image. So I think those, that's, that is it in a thumbnail. So whatever, whatever you tweet can and will be used against you in a court of law. If the right? judge decides it's okay, because I've had some judges who said absolutely not, and I've had some judges who say, I think that's relevant. And so, as we all know, it also depends on the judge and how he wants to view it as well. I mean, you can argue either way, but if they let it in, like the judge in Florida let in the uh, issue on Facebook, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Well, Deborah, in, in that case, that was a, a courtroom case, and the judge said there was some sort of inference to be made, not because of this the statement that was made on Facebook, but because the other client didn't respond to it, that, that, that there was a negative inference for not responding on Facebook? So that, yeah, because there was the, the statement about co-ownership, and then there was a comment about how cute the dogs were, and then um, the alleged co-owner commented, yes, they are cute, but she didn't say, and they're not co-owned. And so because she didn't say, and they're not co-owned, the judge said, well, you commented and you didn't deny what the original mm. statement was. So we're going to say that that was a, a statement I'm going to take in consideration. And I, I said, now we're fighting things on Facebook, which was a first for me. However, right. it is it is what it is. So was that was that considered a statement against interest? Yes, it was. And, and a real important thing to add would be the person may have a very valid reason for not responding, which is, you know what, I want to, I have to get on a flight or I just knew responding was not going to put the issue to bed. I mean, there's really good valid reasons where you'd say, judge, you should keep this out. Yeah. But again, it requires so much work to get the context. And a lot of these cases are criminal cases, right, where the, the evidence comes in. And the, the law enforcement officers have done the work. They know people's users' names. They know and have a database of what people say, their phones. In a civil case, you're not going to have that. And so you have to say, I got to back up the bus and do a lot of work much earlier. Right. Of it was, And it was used extensively in some of the criminal actions regarding the January 6th insurrection uh, because it was very difficult to find out exactly who was there and who was in the Capitol and who did such and so. However, many of uh, those that were accused were actually uh, posting uh, what they were doing with photographs of themselves and video and, you know, shouting about it. And all of that was used uh, to, to certainly to place them uh, in the location. And I would imagine as well to show state of mind and intent. And just two real quick, two things. I did see some news coverage that said there was so much data that the federal government, the, the prosecutors were having difficulty even wading through all of it. And then remember, as you walk through this, you've got many different kinds of evidence. So you know, someone says, I wasn't there. Okay, well, we're going to look at the geo evidence from your phone. You know, then we could also look at a photograph which says, oh, I was there and what you were doing. And remember, that's just 
plain old photograph authentication. We don't need any technology. And then we're looking at the posts. We're looking at additional things. What did people do? What did they comment? So go back to Deborah's example. You know, when somebody said, go walk across or climb the fence, did you say no? Again, criminal, a little different. You, you don't have to be compelled to testify against yourself. But if it were a civil case, a lot harder. Yeah. And and with the um, Depp Heard case, it really was influencers who changed and shifted the mindsets. You know, they were in a certain mindset, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and then the influencers came on and sort of infuriated or inflamed one side over the other. So that's the other piece. Not only do you have to worry about what your clients do and say, that is not necessarily the smartest light bulb in the box, but then you have to worry about who picks up on it and then runs with it and your client may be harmed by it. Right. And, and and getting back to the to the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard case, uh, this is not going to be a hot take uh, of mine, but it it's clear that Amber Heard came out on the negative side of public opinion for the most part. And I'd like to hear from from each of you as to, in retrospect, what could she have done or her attorneys have done differently to help uh, alleviate some of the negativity that came out with respect to her? Hmm. You know, I, one quick thought is it's going to be very difficult because you're, you're looking at two different groups, right? So the first thing you're going to talk about is who am I trying to change the narrative with? You know, I think journalists, for the most part, were, were much more even-handed. So, you know, obviously a good example would be you want to put up the stuff that's most persuasive for your side in a really small content. There was a great case I was following where every day the plaintiff's lawyers added something to their website and they said, here's what happened today. It was a couple of paragraphs. And if you want the backup materials, here's all the backup materials. So there's an excellent way for a journalist to say, oh, what happened? It took me 30 seconds. Oh, that's really interesting. Let me deep dive. So that's one example she could have done. And who's and let me just stop you there because I want to hear your other example. But who was posting that? Was that the 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 client or was that the attorney or was that some third party PR firm? That was the attorney. And so it was, it was a defamation case out in the Midwest and the attorney, the law firm just every day, they put something up. And so you felt like you were following the case and you got their side. You didn't get it from the defendants, just got it from them. So as a journalist right? They would, if they were at all inclined, they're going to pull right from that. Um, the other group I'd say were the influencers. And as I, as we started with, um, whatever content performed better, that's what they were going to support mm. and do. So you, it's almost a lost battle. And you maybe have to say to yourself, this is something I need to say six months after this is over, who am I? What do I do? And maybe that's what happens. I believe, Deborah, you've mentioned uh, Amber Heard is talking about writing a book that that gives her perspective, correct? Absolutely. She is. And and that's about all she can do at this point, because once the once the um, tide sways a certain way, it's awfully hard for an attorney to bring it back around because you really don't have any um, reason to have created that tide flow. It's just as Scott pointed out, what's getting more hits? So if if being part and agreeing with Johnny Depp is getting more hits, they're going to keep posting that point of view. I mean, we all know that it it seems that certain points of view take off and other points of view that we think are pretty 
um, normal and narrative uh, don't take off because of whatever reason of the people who are looking at them. Uh, I It was amazing to me that she did lose so much traction. Uh, and I think if she writes a book, she's really got to be careful uh, to stay in a, um, a zone of uh, factual discussion and not go down any sort of rabbit hole that's going to create another arena for her to be uh, used by influencers to raise their profile. Or or just make sure it's only published in New York so there's no streaming. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, you know, do you did you have any uh, feeling that there was anything choreographed here from either side about the social media aspect? Uh, you know, it did seem as though obviously it was ver it seemed to be very one sided. I mean, there were some Amber Heard defenders, but I guess those those weren't getting the clicks. Right. So uh, was there can you tell if there's something being choreographed? So um, Johnny Depp's former lawyer, the one who was cited for the two million dollar defamation verdict in Amber Heard's favor, did admit he talked to influencers. He treated them just like another part of the media. So that's there. And then secondly, there are I don't want to say forensics firms, but there are firms that will look at en masse posts, you know, particularly written posts as opposed to videos like TikTok. Um, and they can look at sentiment and, and people have done post-trial analysis saying this is how things ran. So I think the answer would be, yeah, both of these, these parties were very well resourced. They had good lawyers. And so presumably they had all the advisors they could possibly want, both before, during and after the trial. It's just sometimes um, who gets that great quote up first that everybody runs with that sort of, as I said, turns the tide. Um, and, and this reminds me of something going back to what Deborah had said, you know, talking about animals. Great place for people if you're really interested to see how folks experience social media. Uh, I was talking to... Um, someone who ran a feed for an animal charity. And the person said, it was the most insightful thing. She said, if we want to pay for an operation for the animal, we post before the operation and say, don't you want to help Scout? This is going to really help Scout. And as opposed to Scout had the operation. The first one, the before, we get a what way greater interaction. We make more money because people want to help and it tugs at your heartstrings. I'm solving a problem as opposed to the second one. So I think you have to remember as lawyers, right? We, we would say, oh, we're analytical. Doesn't matter whether it's before or after the operation. Social media, you got to lead with your heart and say, how is this going to play on people's hearts and minds? Like Johnny Depp probably had way more memes that were available for people to put out there. And those memes, you know, supporting him probably did much better. I haven't analyzed that, but my gut says that might be an example. You know, the 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 thrust of your article or one of the thrusts of your article uh, was that because of this and because for other reasons that perhaps litigation is not always the best course, that there's other uh, routes to take uh, to resolve disputes, whether it be mediation or arbitration. And so why don't you share with us what what the benefit of saying, look, we're, we're both parties agree if we go to court, we're both going to get pulverized by the media. Let's try to resolve our disputes uh, quietly. There it is a dispute. It does need to be resolved. 
and we'll go to arbitration or 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 a mediator that we both trust. Uh, talk about that option and why that's something that uh, someone should consider. You know, I'm going to pick up this part and and because this is something Deborah had emphasized to me, and I thought this was really interesting. Take mediation, right? If you hire a mediator like Deborah, the first thing she's going to say is, "Here's my agreement." Part of the agreement is you are not going to talk about the process. You are not going to talk about each other, right? And so that does two really important things. One, it, it brings to the fore the social media issue. Stop posting. Stop posting about each other. But two, as the parties observe that, you know, in honor of what the mediators asked for to resolve the issue, they're building trust. And so social media, we've all talked about emotion and, and the tit for tat, and it rips it down. But Deborah said, you know, it's a great way to show the parties we can do these really small things and refrain from doing things, and it's going to build trust to then solve the underlying issue. I think, Deborah, that was like a real big punch that you felt would happen if people could follow this process. Absolutely. So we have collaborative practice, which is where attorneys agree not to go to litigation, as well as mediation and arbitration, which helps the people. I mean, it usually was used in um, marital disputes, but now it's been really expanded into civil disputes as well, because it creates an atmosphere in which the attorneys and the clients build trust. And so I'm a collaborative attorney and I'm a mediator and I'm a conflict coach. So those three things could help your client understand their own triggers so that they don't respond on social media when they see it, because they know that Scott's posting to trigger you to answer so that you can get into trouble. So let's see what we can do instead. Um, and if you're in mediation, unless of course we love wonderful Jeff Kitchhaven, who everyone knows, who says confidentiality may or may not be true in uh, mediation, I still truly believe that signing a confidentiality agreement when you start mediation should hold fast and hold true. Uh, that makes it more possible to say things that are not going to come back and bite you later on because you're building trust and building a using building blocks to create an outcome that, that will benefit both of them. I always think when people refer to mediation is, you know, you both walk out unhappy. That's not my mission. My mission is to help you both walk out happy because everyone has gained some level of trust and understanding of the other person's point of view, which is why that coaching comes in so well, because it stops you from thinking the way we always think is I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, rather, we want to get it right. And that's what will help us do that. And, and real quick, just picking up on that point of view, right? We can have a really tough time with clients getting them to understand, well, this is how the other side sees it in a, you know, it's a patent dispute, an employment dispute. You know, they can't give you all these things you want because it's a company with 100,000 employees. Now they've set it up. Social media, though, it's really easy to say to the person, hey, look, they made this really funny meme using your picture. You know, that made you feel terrible. Uh-huh. So if you do that back to them, do you think they're going to feel terrible? Yes. So now people can start understanding, oh, I'm seeing why I need to look at the other side's view and how we take that and maybe we settle the case. And if we can't, it's great that we knew that earlier because then we can go to court or, or uh, you know, ADR, other ADR. Well, of course, there's more about this in Scott and Deborah's article that's in our recent New York State Bar Journal that I encourage everyone to to take a look at. And I want to thank uh, Scott and Deborah for being with us uh, on Miranda Warning to talk about uh, this really fascinating uh, issue. And, you know, we have a feature on Miranda Warnings called 
music book or movie where you make a recommendation, and I don't want to deprive you uh, of that, but I'd like to give it a little twist here for our listeners. If each of you could provide a social media account that you would recommend uh, that we follow. Okay. All right. Um, you know, it's always those last minute twists that are tough, but I will tell you um, on Twitter, Bill's Mafia Kazakhstan, but it's a hysterical okay. account for, t- you know, picking up on the Borat kind of language, following the bills and, and making fun of it. So I would go Bill's Mafia Kazakhstan on Twitter. Okay. Deborah? And of course, I would have everyone follow Amanda Ripley, who wrote the wonderful book, High Conflict, How We Get In It and How We Get Out of It. Uh, She is phenomenal. She's so much fun. She's been on the Hill. She's been on every talk show known to man. This book handles how we can actually have these conversations. And it deals with a little social media issues, too. So um, I love Amanda Ripley. So just look for her on Twitter. I think she's on Twitter. She's on um, TikTok. She's everywhere on LinkedIn. So just look up Amanda Ripley and her book is High Conflict. So I think it's at Amanda Ripley. Great. Remember, you're right. so classy. You always you always like elevate the, the show. I, that's why I can't do presentations with you. Well, <laughs> you know, when we have Deborah and you, Scott, it's a good balance, right? <laughs> so, so we get both sides. So no, you are both great. You're both classy. Uh, you bro- both bring uh, tremendous insight to this uh, to this issue. It's a pleasure talking to both of you. We are very appreciative to have you on to further illuminate us, uh, as you did with uh, the article that's in the, the State Bar Journal. And so, Deborah and, and Scott, thank you so much for being with us on Miranda Warnings. You're very welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. This has been Miranda Warnings, a New York State Bar Association podcast. You have the right to subscribe, rate, and review. 